Turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we've been the last couple of weeks. I've been doing a series called I Follow. Can you say that? I Follow. And it was, it's basically built on the idea that we don't just believe in Jesus, but we follow Him. Now, let me say it again because many get this confused. It seems like many people think that if I have the right thoughts about Christianity, then that's all that matters. But how many know God wants not only our belief, He wants our behavior? So we're not just believing, but what are we doing? We're following Him. Luke 9.23 has been our text. Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Well, deny himself. Can you say deny yourself? In other words, that's say no to yourself and take up your cross daily. Now, we may talk about that next week. Take up your cross daily and then do what? Follow me. And the sense is you cannot say yes to Jesus until you've said no to yourself. In other words, you're not going to follow until you deny yourself because how many know self often wants to do things, and it's not just bad things. When I got out of the Navy, I was, oh, what was I, 20, early, my early 20s, I really wanted to go back and live my life uh, in context of my family there in Mississippi and kind of go to college and build it there. But God called me to go to California, and I had to deny something that I really wanted to do that was not a bad thing but something that God had a different plan for my life. I put my cross on my shoulder, and I've been walking ever since. Now, last week we focused on this phrase, denying yourself, and this idea of fasting helps you say no to yourself. Now, fasting, by basic definition, this is just a little bit of review. It's all on our webpage. You can download it if you like or even look at the notes are there. But fasting is simply a way to tell yourself no through food. You can fast for food. You can do a media fast. I'm fasting the radio in the morning, and rather than listening uh, when I'm taking the kids to school or driving to work, I'm doing some extra praying. It's making a difference in my spiritual life. I've also been doing a Daniel fast. From Daniel chapter 1, if you read his story, Daniel wouldn't eat the, uh, the meats and the wines and the sweets and all those things. So it's, it's a partial fast, but it's a way of denial. And I want to tell you what, it still's got teeth to it. I went to Cracker Barrel with a friend this week, and here I've got my pinto beans, and they had the best-looking piece of cornbread I think I have ever seen. All my Cracker Barrel's got it on cornbread now. I mean, it's just like butter was just, it started at the top, and it began a slow melt down the side of it. And, and everything in me wanted to pick it up with, with one, one or just a crumb. That's what happens, see, when you say no to yourself. But I said no. Now, here's something I know. If you can say no to the cornbread, you can say no when pornography pops up on the computer. If you can say no to the cornbread, you can say no when somebody tries to get you to go down a pathway that you know is going to be wrong for you. And if you can't say no to yourself, to this green monster that wants to control your life, you'll be in big, big trouble. Well, that's a little bit from last week, but I want to show you a little video clip as we start before we get into this morning's message. And it's a little funny video about the way a fast is not supposed to be. Now, it starts with this guy who is preparing for his fast the night before. So take a peek at this, and then, and then we'll get into Matthew 6 together. Now, tell your neighbor, that's not what fasting is supposed to look like. Fasting is supposed to be a door to get closer to God. Listen to Matthew 6, verse 16. Jesus said these words, When you fast, presuming that his followers would, when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the, what? hypocrites. They make their faces look sad to show people they're fasting. Verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then people will not know you're fasting. Now, listen to this next phrase, but your Father whom you cannot see will see you. 
In other words, what you do in secret, whether it's your prayer, your giving, not knowing your left hand, what your left hand, what your right hand's doing, any ways that you serve the Lord, your fasting, God will see you. And the Bible says your Father sees what's done in secret, and what will He do? He'll reward you. Now that's a powerful, powerful thought. So you can see in fasting, it's more than just not eating, but it's a spiritual discipline to help you draw closer to God. And I want to tell you, friend, it works. Last week we looked at the phrase denial, deny yourself. This week I'm going to look at something that perhaps you've not thought of. Fasting is a time to reevaluate or examine your life in terms of how you treat people. And we're going to begin this, e this morning in Isaiah 58, and we're going to see how they were doing a religious thing called fasting, but they were missing the most important thing, which was caring about people. So I've called the morning's message, I Care, and the truth today is that people who follow Jesus care about people. Can you say that with me? People who follow Jesus care about people. Let's jump into this together. Isaiah 58, we're going to begin in verse 2, but here's a picture of someone doing religious things but neglecting what's most important. And here God is rebuking the Jewish people through Isaiah the prophet. Look at verse 2. You act so pious. You come to the temple or you come to the church every day and you seem delighted to learn all about me. Verse 3, you've fasted before me, but you say, God, why aren't you impressed? In other words, here I am, I'm doing this sacrificial thing, but you're not answering my prayers. It's not making any difference in my life. What is the big deal? I made a sacrifice, but to them it's just ritual. It's not something that captures the heart. God answers and said, I'm going to tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. But while you fast, and here's what I want you to see. There's about six ways in this which, which they mistreated people. Now think about this. Christianity is not just a belief system. It's not just rituals. It's not just the routine of church or Bible or money. Or the Christianity is a lifestyle that manifests first in our love for God and second in our love for people. And I want you to see as we look through this passage six types of people that they're neglecting and the fast was the time to examine their life, to reorient themselves around caring for people. Take a peek here. Number one, you oppress your workers. In other words, if you own a business or if you're a supervisor, you're oppressing your workers. Number four, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Now, we don't know who they're fighting with, but there is tension. It could be in the home. It could be in the workplace. It could be on the ball diamond. But there's fighting. There's quarreling. There's anxiety. You know, who knows? There might have been some violence that was going along. But uh, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me, God says. In other words, if you're not eating and you're not treating people right, all you're doing is wasting time because you're not getting the attention of God. Verse 6, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Number one, free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Now here we're talking about justice. We talked about Martin Luther King's life today. Here's an example. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Now, to oppress someone, how many know you don't have to be the ruler? You don't have to be, you know, the governor. How many know fathers can oppress their children? How many know husbands can oppress their wives and wives can oppress their husbands? How many know, listen, it can get, parents, even when adults or kids grow into adults, parents can even oppress their children. So oppression is something that can happen to many of us. Let the oppressed free, remove the chains that bind people. Maybe you're doing things that tie people up. Maybe you're a drug dealer. Well, let me tell you this, friend, you are binding and oppressing people. God wants you to stop. Maybe you in some way are a purveyor of pornography. There's gas stations I won't go to because they sell pornography. 
There's places that are out there that are binding and controlling people. So this idea is not just for those that are in authority, but in many ways we can bring binding and controlling. A teacher could do this to her students. It's a time to look at your heart. A policeman could do this to, to people that he's dealing with in traffic situations and other things. People that are in power can do this. They do it all the time. Notice uh, what, he, what he continues to say. Free those, let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind. I mean, look at verse 7. Share your food with the hungry. This is as practical as it comes. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And don't just hide from relatives who need your help. Now, how many know that's practical Christianity? It's helping people that are in need. And now, I don't know that the Bible is talking about the bum that doesn't want to work. How many know the Bible says if you don't work? Yeah, and we live in a country that has perverted the work ethic, that has perverted character, that has, in my opinion, imprisoned people through a welfare system. I thank God I live in a nation that does provide means to help people and care for people that are in need. But listen, when you produce, you produce generational poverty and you strip people of their dignity when you just give them just enough to survive and you don't put in their hands the tools to get ahead in life. Listen, the Bible, listen, the Bible is a book that's built on freedom. The Bible is a book that's built on success. The Bible is a book that's built on helping people achieve their God-given destinies. But when you're treating people wrong, God sees it. In this case, they ignored justice and they ignored mercy. They thought they were just doing the rituals was enough, but can I tell you, God says, you're wrong. The ritual of fasting is not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is that you treat people the right way, that you care about people. Now, Jesus reiterated this, Mark chapter 12, and I want you to think about this. Remember Mark chapter 12 when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment in the Bible? Now, take a peek at your Bible if you've got it. Mine happens to be about 1,800 pages. Now, that's a pretty long book. What's the most important verse in this book? The most important verse is what Jesus was asked. If you were to, for example, if you're in college or maybe you go to Books a Million and you get a book about that thick and someone comes up to you and says, what's the most important, what's the most important paragraph in that book? Now, that's a pretty big challenge. What if your assignment for the school year was to read this book, tell me the most important paragraph in this whole book. If you get it right, I'll give you an A. If you get it wrong, I'll give you an F. I mean, no, you would search for that main thing. And what Jesus is saying, let me tell you what the main thing is. Number one, he said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. See, now, I was taught as a boy almost subconsciously that the way you're right with God is you go to church and you take communion every once in a while and you're more good than bad. But that's not what it's about. What it's about is a relationship with God that's not mystical, it's not spooky. It doesn't mean that you're less than a man to desire to love God, to show that tender side of your life. But God wants to be the consuming focus of your life. It doesn't mean that He wants to, you, know, you to be a, a vocational pastor like I am, but it simply means that wherever you go, whatever you do, Christ is the center of your world. When you go to bed at night, you say, Good night, Lord. When you wake up in the morning, you say, Good morning, Lord. Not, Good Lord, it's morning. Are, are you with me? He wants to be center life. But he didn't stop there. He said the second commandment is this. Love your... Love your neighbor. Now, who in the world is your neighbor? It, Jesus explains this. When he's asked at one point in time who your neighbor was, he gives a, an extreme picture. He gives a picture that had prejudice in it, that had a stranger in it, that had some, we might call it racism today, in it, Gentile and Jew, that had some religious prejudices. All the reasons why you shouldn't help somebody, Jesus undercut them in the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
So basically, Jesus said, your neighbor is someone you don't know, someone that's hurting, someone that's going to cost you something, someone that's, gonna, that's in great need. But how many know the Bible begins there, but then it pulls it back all the way to home? How many know husbands are supposed to do what to their wives? L love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church. Not this 50-50 garbage. You're supposed to love your wife. as. And what did Jesus do? He gave himself fully and completely. So this is a comprehensive word when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. Now let's think where we began. We began in this fast, this time of drawing near to God. And God says, open up your eyes and see, are you genuinely loving people? Are you caring about people? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. And I want to talk about four groups of people that you relate to all the time. You may relate to them daily, or you may relate to them certainly within the context of a week. But let me tell you the four groups we're going to look at. We're going to begin with the Isaiah 58, and we're going to talk about the poor and needy. Now, how many know not all needy people are poor? How many know if you're an alcoholic, if your kid's a drug addict, you may be driving the finest car in Texarkana, but how many know you have a need and you need somebody to help you? If you're that same person, you've got all the, girl, the world's goods, and you're burying your spouse, how many know you've got some needs that money can't take care of at that moment? So God wants us to reach out to help. I had a lady come up to me after service and said, I've been volunteering at hospice. In other words, I'm helping people in the last moments of their life. I'm loving them, and I'm caring for them. Helping poor and needy people. The second group we're going to talk about is a group that uh, I dare say everyone can relate to. It is your enemies. It's people that you don't like. It's people that don't treat you nice. Anybody understand what I, I mean? Did someone just pop into your mind when I just kind of said that a little bit? Yeah, everybody's got somebody that they don't like. Everybody's got somebody that they don't care about. And uh, Jesus has some advice for us. The third group we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about people that are spiritually sick. You might have never heard this uh, presented this way, but Jesus is going to basically say, sinners who need a Savior are spiritually sick. And the last group we'll talk about for just a moment is our family, those closest to us. And doesn't it strike you odd that sometimes we treat strangers better than we treat our family? So let's kind of look at this idea of a fast is not just like the crazy guy on TV not eating for a couple hours, but fasting is a time to examine your life, to pull aside through some form of denying yourself some pleasure, some something, so you put self in park. So you can pause to look at your life with this question this morning, how am I treating people? Let's begin. Uh, I want you to go to James chapter 1, verse 27. The first group, those who are poor or those who are in need. Again, Isaiah already told us that people that are hungry, people that are homeless, uh, relatives that are in need. Uh, the New Testament teaches us if you don't care for your own, your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, James 1.27 is an interesting verse. James is the brother of Jesus. It's the wisdom book of the New Testament. And James is going to define what real religion is. I don't use the term religion much because I see Christianity as relationship with God. But yet, in the broad, I guess, understanding of the word, we are a religious people. And James is going to tell you what pure religion is. Now, if you were to kind of think about this from an American idea, usually religion is thought of as what we do in church on Sunday. But it's not the case. You may think a religious person is maybe someone that's you know, on television or on radio or doing some missionary work. But James tells us that pure religion is caring for who? Orphans and widows. It's caring for orphans and widows. Now, he, he, that's not all 
he's talking about, but he gives us an example of people that are in need. And basically he's saying is if you want to be a truly religious person that's right with God, you'll care for people that are orphans and widows. But he won't stop there. Jesus added to the list, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is painting a picture in verse 35 of what it's going to be like on Judgment Day. Now, Judgment Day, I, I, let's say, what are there, 4 billion people on the planet today? I don't know how many have been here since the beginning of time, but let's just draw a number. Let's say maybe it was 8 billion people, 10 billion people. All the world is going to be divided into two large groups. God's going to have one group on His left, and they're going to be damned for eternity. That's just what it says. The other group is going to be blessed for all eternity. And basically what Jesus, how He divided the two is this. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 35, I was hungry. Now, if you know the passage, people are going to say, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? And Jesus will say, whatever you did to the least of these, another person, you were doing it to me. So he added to that list of orphans and widows, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty. Do you know there are thousands of people that die every day in the world because they don't have pure water to drink? They get cholera, they get diarrhea, they get diseases because they don't have pure water. You know, there's ministries that our church is involved in and you could be involved in and drilling water wells to help people. Uh, I was a stranger. I was naked. Uh, I was sick. I was in prison. All these pictures, and again, I don't even believe that's totally comprehensive. I believe someone today that is dying of AIDS and is, and is shunned by whoever, family, by friends, I believe they would fit in this category that someone would show the love of God to them. A, a, a woman that is struggling with the shame and the guilt of an abortion that most of us in this room can relate to, including men, but carrying guilt and shame, that someone comes to you and talks about the forgiveness of Christ. It talks about the mercy of God. How many know people are hurting all around us in Texarkana? And listen, it's not just those couple guys that are panhandling on state line every time you go by. I don't know how to tell the difference anymore between who's truly in need and who's, you know, who's just a crook. I can't figure it out, but I'm telling you, you can't let the crooks shut you down inside for the needs of the poor and needy that are around us. God cares about people, and He wants us to care about people too. Uh, it, it, if you were to ask me what, what gives you great joy about pastoring at Church on the Rock, I think this subject, the way I see people care about people in our church brings me great pride. Every time I see someone coming in church and with one of the little cans with change for Haiti, if you don't have one, pick one up on the way out today. But just put it on your dresser, your table, and whenever you get some change, don't just squirrel, just drop it in there. And before you know it, every other month or so, we send eight or nine hundred dollars to feed kids in Haiti. That's through J. Threadgill. They're the ministry that's there. They've got like twenty Bible schools, and they teach kids. They don't have public education there. And he'll get them rice and beans and make a, make a kind of complete meal. They'll give it to the pastors. They'll take it. It could be the only meal these kids get, a healthy meal in the course of a day. It's just a couple pennies, see? But when you prioritize your life around it, we've got people that go in, in home next, next uh, Saturday night, actually. There's a group that will go in the homeless shelter, and they'll feed people at Randy Sam's. Uh, and they won't just go with a pot of stew and say, okay, uh, wash the plates, and I'll, and I'll see you later. No, they'll go down. They'll serve the people. They'll sit around the tables. They'll pray for them. They'll talk to them. Now, grant you, most people there were just there for a meal, but there's always people that were there that's got a heart that's been made tender by God and just needs somebody to love them and care about them. Come on, it could be you. We've got people that go to apartment complexes, low-income housing units, and just bringing the love of Christ to them. I'll tell you something that captured my heart this Christmas time as a lasting memory. 
there was a, a person in our church that I, 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 could, I just knew was struggling financially. We even talked in our, in our office staff about maybe we need to help them. And this person came up to me at, at Christmas time and said, someone gave me this, it was a $75 card from uh, Super One. Someone gave me this, but we've got enough food at home. I want you to give it to somebody who's worse off than we are. And I thought, now this is not a person that's wealthy, but this is a person that just recognizes God's given me daily bread today. I want to help somebody else too. And if you're not careful, you can get caught up in the materialism of this world, and it can distort everything in your life. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough to give or share. I want to encourage you as you start this new year, Allow God to open not only your heart, but to open your wallet and open your time to find some deliberate way to minister and care for people that are in need. I promise you, it'll get the attention of God, uh, of God and it'll warm your heart, and God will reward you for it one day. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. That first group now is people who are poor and needy. Now, the second group is interesting. Matthew chapter 5, it's people we don't like. Now, take off your pious religious look for me this morning because I guarantee you, you've got people that you don't like, that you don't care about. It's an enemy or someone who treated you bad, someone who owes you money and won't pay, you know, whatever it may be. But I would imagine that there's somebody in your world that you don't get along with. And all the church said, half the church said amen anyway. I appreciate you other half that are so godly that you're loving everybody. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, he's talking to Jewish people. The Old Testament is filled with, with challenges to love people. But somewhere along the line, they had added this phrase, hate your enemy. It's not in the Bible, but it was a justification for the way that they were treating people that they didn't like. Jesus said, put the brakes on that. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, I, I, I wish I could just tear that page out of the Bible. That's just paper. That's not the Bible, okay? But I wish that that page were not in the Bible. Uh, Jesus said in verse 46, if you love people who love you, there's no reward in that. But don't the tax collectors do the same thing? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus wants you to love and care about people that you don't even like, people that do you wrong, people that take advantage of you. Now, let me say this. This is a test of the reality of your faith. It is nice for, it's easy for you to treat people nice that treat you nice. It's easy to be kind for people that treat you kind. And you may be looking at me and thinking, now, what does you know, preacher, about people that don't treat people nice? I mean, you know, everybody's nice to you. Let me tell you a little not nice story. I was in, a, I was in town uh, a while back, and uh, something happened about 10 or 12 years ago that I got a flashback on. 10 or 12 years ago, the church was not healthy. It was just struggling with some things. And, and in the course of a year, my wife had two miscarriages. And I can remember crying, both of us, a bucket of tears because it was a baby that we wanted. And right at that time, a beloved friend, I thought, was going around the church saying, the church is cursed and the preacher is cursed. You need to get out of this place. So here I am, had had relationship with this person for years, thought they were my friend, and when we're sitting at home crying, 
are going around telling people that's a cursed place and they're cursed people. That's kind of like Job's friends. Well, I had gone through the whole forgiveness thing and let them go and was actually kind of glad I hadn't seen them. You're way too somber on me. I ran into him in town. And now, when you run into somebody like that, you probably have one of two reactions. One is you double up your fist. How many are fist doublers in here? Let me see your hand. All right. You're quick to say it. The other group of us turn and walk away. How many walk awayers in the room? Let me see. Okay. All right. Well, I'm a walk awayer. Now, if you hit me, I'm probably going to hit you back, okay? But my first response towards you is not to hit you. And as I'm walking away inside, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, stop that. I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you be kind to that person. Now listen, they're going to heaven. Don't get me wrong. They love God. But they had just hurt me. And it took a lot for, for God to just put a hook in my jaw to get me to turn and move my little feet over to where they were and say kind things. But you know what? That's what it means to love people. Because whether that person hurt me or not, they're still a brother or sister in Christ. And I'm not the judge. Because if you don't learn to do that and purge yourself from all the pain of life, you become angry and bitter. If you don't learn to forgive people because Christ has forgiven you, you're getting too quiet on me this morning. If we don't learn to do that, we just live life balled up on the inside. I had someone hurt my son. Now, it's one thing to hurt me. I can kind of deal with it. I'm an adult. But when someone hurts your kids, I mean, no, that's a different story. Hurt my kid. I mean, he's working for this person, and they took advantage of him. It was just wrong. And I'm in a situation, I'm in, I'm in the same context, but I can't do anything about it. You ever been in a plot spot where you want to help your kids, and you realize that they're going to have to do this on their own? But I want to tell you what, I had angry feelings in my heart. And when I began to pray for them, I prayed that the roof would fall on their head. And, 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 and I'm just being honest. And the, and the problem was, I would have to ride by their place of business periodically, and it would remind me of that whole situation. But I want to tell you this, I got to the place where I'd go by that place, and my anger turned in compassion for that person. Because something had happened in that hard-hearted person that was a professing believer that had made them calloused and indifferent. Come on to where money mattered more than anything else. And I got to where I was going by there, and every time I'd go by, and I'd say, Lord, I ask you to bless them today. I pray that you would not just cause the roof to fall on their head, but let the love of God just bubble up in their heart. Let them begin to treat people right. Let them begin to be an ambassador of Christ. Let their testimony be a strong one rather than a poor one around town. How I many know that's what it means to love Christian, love people? Jesus told us the second great commandment, love your neighbors yourself. And I'm telling you, sometimes your neighbor's a dirty dog. Tell your neighbor he's telling the truth now. Let's look at a third one, and I'm going to kind of wrap up here. Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to think with me on this one. We're supposed to love the poor and the needy. We're supposed to care about people who, are, who treat us badly. But here's the third one. It's people who are spiritually sick. Jesus talked about them as sinners who need a Savior. Now, the context, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew has just become a follower of Jesus. Matthew is the one who wrote this gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew uh, invited his friends. The problem is Matthew just came out of the world, and his friends are worldly people. I mean, now, why does it surprise us that worldly people do what worldly people do? Why does it surprise us when sinners do what sinners do? Because that's what you and I used to do. But it surprises us after a while. Verse 10, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home along with many tax collectors. And the New Living Translation says, disreputable sinners. 
Now, a sinner with a bad reputation is a pretty bad dude. I want you to think about somebody that takes advantage of people, that lies all the time, that gets ahead by cheating, that does bribery, they may be immoral, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be violence. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, we're kind of dragging bottom here. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, what you think about this, are they sick or are they scum? It's an interesting scenario. You've got Jesus and the disciples. You've got Matthew, who is a brand new follower of Christ. You've got a bunch of religious Pharisees. And what Jesus is going to do is basically slap the Pharisees and tell the sinners, come on and follow me. Because here's what I know. When you come to Christ, a sinner will change. And the person that once lived a wicked life will begin to live a kind and loving life. Jesus heard this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. In other words, if you're in a right relationship with God, you are spiritually healthy. You don't need help. But it's sick people who need help. Spiritually sick people, they're sinners. And Jesus said, now go and learn the meaning from this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not just do religious things, not just offer sacrifices, not just fast, not just bring your Bible, not just give a nickel. Let me know some of the meanest people in the world come to church on Sunday. Come on, the guys that used to wear white pointy hats, they were in church on Sunday morning. Something is just wrong with that picture. See, it's not going to church that gets you to heaven. It's your heart that's been transformed by God. I'm preaching way better than your amening this morning, by the way, I, I think. Jesus said, I have come to call, I've called not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're in sin. Now listen, sin is a spiritual sickness. And it is easy sometimes to look down our nose. It's been a long time since I've been out in the world. I, I, I've been a Christian for 30-something years. Like I told you last week, uh, there's a Facebook page for the town I was raised in, and all my old friends are putting up stories about drinking and going here and going there and partying and all that. And, and I'm thinking, I just forgot about all that. That was kind of old me stuff. But I'm telling you, when you as a Christian and you've been away from that for a while, you can become self-righteous. And you can somehow think that you're better than the other guy. And you know what? People pick it up real quick. How many know the difference between you and someone that still is snared in sin is simply the mercy of God and the fact that you said yes to it? It's not because we're some, some great person. And in our culture today, you don't hear the word sinner. You don't hear it on CNN. You don't hear it on Fox News. You just don't hear the word sinner because to say that, that would imply that there are standards, that there's a God. And our world doesn't want absolutes. Our world doesn't want the commandments, thou shalt not murder on the walls of our schools. It would rather deal with a 22-year-old, this guy that, that shot the congresswoman this past week. And when it happens, our world doesn't say it was the wickedness of sin and a spiritually sick person that caused him to do this. Our world says it's, it's the fault of the, the right. It's the fault of talk radio. It's the fault of gun owners. Baloney. Listen, when people sin, they should be held accountable. I believe in capital punishment. I believe the same Bible that teaches about mercy and forgiveness also talks about giving, uh, having responsibility for our sins. And it's the responsibility of civil government to enforce laws to protect the people. Come on, not blame the people that are, are, are here. But I'm telling you, this guy, you saw a picture of that kid when he got his mugshot taken. He was, he was bald-headed and that almost bizarre, demonic look on his face, having no clue 
I don't know what input he had in his life, but I guarantee you it was more violence in video games and more R-rated junk and mess on the movies and theaters. He, he, I bet you he didn't sit in a Sunday school class and learn right from wrong. I bet he didn't come to a place like church on Sundays and hear that God has a better way for him, that we're supposed to love our neighbor and not hate our neighbor. Come on. Something was missing in his life, and the root cause of it was sin. Well, here's the problem. They're in a ditch because they're, they don't know how to get out of the ditch. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, it asks the question, how in the world are they going to hear unless someone tells them? You see, people are where they are, and unless they hear the words of life from you, from me, they're going to stay in the ditch. And they're not going to hear, they're not going to believe unless you and I show them by our actions and tell them by our words. And how many believe that now is the time to begin to do that? Now is the time. Listen, whether you're inviting people to church, if you just get them here, I'll talk to them about Christ. If you just get them here, because it's awkward sometimes. I understand that. My 11-year-old and I, we talk all the time about, are you praying at school? Do you share your faith? Well, it's kind of hard sometimes. I don't want people laughing at me. And well, I'll, I understand that. But I'm telling you, sinners do what sinners do. And that's our job while we're here on this earth. And God wants us to love people in spite of the mess that they're laying in their lives. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. I'm going to close and we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. We've been talking about some diverse groups this morning. We started with the poor and needy. We've talked about people we don't like. We've talked about people that are spiritually sick. But I want to spend just a minute or two on people that are closest to you and ask you the question, how you're treating your family. It amazes me how we treat strangers sometimes with more courtesy than we treat our spouse. We'll treat a stranger better than we treat our mom or our dad. A kid will go to, a, you know, a friend's house and they'll make up their bed and they'll clean the table. But when they're at home, they expect mom the maid to do it. Now, now, now you can kind of maybe expect that from a kid to a degree. But let me know when we're adults, we need to step it up a notch. I, I've never met any, well, I, I can't remember meeting anyone that married a man that was physically violent with them before they got married. When they married that man, that man was courteous. He was kind. He said, what movie would you like to go see? Where would you like to go eat? And then somewhere he became a monster. And he's supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Can I tell you something's wrong with that? See, Christianity is not just what you believe. It's the way we behave. And the place we start loving is not the neighbor who's far away. It's the people that are closest in our world. You know, what justification does a wife have to withhold the respect and honor her husband desperately needs? It's Ephesians 5. It's the number one woman's responsibility to show honor and respect. You say, well, you don't know him. I, I don't want to know him either. I understand. But I'm telling you, you'll get more love out of him, which is what you're wanting, if you'll begin to honor him and care for him. If you don't understand my parents, Pastor, I just hate them because... Okay. But doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to show honor and obedience to your parents? Well, what are these? These are ways that we show our love, that we care about people. And, and, and I'm out of time this morning, but I just want to pause just a little bit and ask you how you're treating people that are in your family. On this fast, I've been convicted that I've been behaving in some selfish ways towards my wife. Now, I'm not one who is the fist deal, and I've never hit my wife or abused her in any fashion, but, you know, I sometimes don't give her attention that she needs. I mean, no, you can punish people in a lot of different ways. You can withhold from them. 
you know. There's a lot of things that you can do that we don't treat people right. And I want to encourage you on this time of drawing near to God. Look in the mirror of your soul and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you see there? How am I treating people? It is the second great commandment, the most important thing, the top of the list. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I can't think of a better time to do it than the month of January as you're setting yourself apart to God. Hope you'll come and join us tonight, 6 o'clock, right here. We'll pray for just an hour and a half. But I want to ask you just a minute this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning about what you've heard? I want you to bow your head. We're going to close with prayer. I wonder, has the Holy Spirit been nudging you about maybe this denial thing, fasting? Let's start there. Is he, is he telling you, you need to learn to say no to yourself and yes to me? Begin today. I wonder what he might have said to you about your actions towards the poor and the needy. The last time he told you to give someone something, what did you do? What did you say to God with a voice that couldn't be heard with the ear when God called you to help someone that was in need? You can change that today. How are you treating people that have hurt you? How are you treat are you is your fist doubled? Are you ready to are you walking away? Are you hiding? Or have you come to the place where you're praying for those that have hurt you? Have you forgiven? I wonder how you view the scum of the world, what the Pharisees called the tax collectors and sinners. How do you view people? Do you view them through the lens of sick by this disease and only the Savior has the antidote? Or do you just see them as a bother? I wonder how you're treating those closest to you. It doesn't matter to me what they're doing to cause it. I wonder what you're doing, how you're treating your spouse, your children, your husband, your mom, your dad, your best friend, your partner. Lord, we just pray, we give you the right now to examine our lives. And we just pray that there would be like a flashlight from heaven that shines on it and we simply want to say yes. Well, I just invite you now if you're here and you want to say yes to the Lord and, 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 and you want to take a step up in terms of the way you treat people, I just want you to slip your hands to heaven, just both of them, and just say, Lord, I want you to help me now. Uh, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to let go. It's, it's hard to love. It's hard to care. It's hard to give. But I just give you, Lord, the right to shape me and mold me on the inside and make me into the person you want me to be. I just welcome you today. Let your presence, let your power captivate my heart in this. In Jesus' name. Anybody said? Amen. Hey, here's how we're going to close this morning. You know, you might have come this morning and, and maybe the worship captured your heart. Maybe you heard something in the preaching that was good. Maybe shaking somebody's hand or some fellowship before church. Maybe that was good. But maybe something's still missing. Maybe you need God's help in some way in prayer. And the way we're going to close our service in just a minute, we're going to have people stand. And, and as you stand, we're going to sing a song through once or twice. And, and there's going to be a team of people come around the front, some spiritual men and women that would love to pray with you. Here's something I know everybody needs prayer. Everybody's got struggles. My wife asked me just before the first service, she said, are you okay? And I said, I'm just tired today. And she just took my hand without even asking. She just began to pray for me. There's something that happens when, when people pray. When you take the hand of a person of faith that's godly, I'm going to tell you something good can happen. And I don't care what needs you may have, 
whether it's something you heard today or, or, or whatever is going on in your world, you need to talk to God with somebody. We'll do that. But first, I want to ask this question to you. I wonder if you're here, and, and, and the real root problem you have is, is in your relationship with Christ. Give me just kind of full attention for two minutes if you can. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you have, if I can say, kneel before the cross and acknowledge to God that your sin has got you in the mess that it's in, that you realize you've gone the wrong way in life, and you want a fresh start with Christ. You want His forgiveness. You want to follow Him. You want God to wash your sins away and give you a brand new start in life, and that God would give you the gift of eternal life. You become a follower of Christ. See, I remember when I made that step, August 15th, 1976. You say, hey, you remember that? Well, I was there. I mean, I mean, I was kind of going this way, and God met me, and I started going that way. And it turned things around. And I wonder, have you had that experience in life where you have literally given your life to Christ and received Him as your Savior? Have you had that experience in life where you have turned from your sin and begun to follow the living Christ if you're here today and, and you want to get right with God, if you want to pray to receive Christ today, someone will stand with you today. I want you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask all the Christians that are here this morning to pray for anyone that may need to make a step to Christ. Maybe you're here today and there's kind of a battle inside right now. There's a part of you that, that wants to pray and give your life to Christ and a part of you that wants to run out of the building. I wonder which part is God. I think it's that one that's calling you to Him now. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, you're talking right to me. I want to get right with God. For some, it may be the first time you've prayed to receive Christ. For others, you've gotten away from God. And, and today, you want to come back. And you don't want to leave this place today till you've made peace with God. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand real quickly. I want to, we want to pray for you today. Anyone this morning, simply say, I want to get right with God. I, I need forgiveness this morning. I need God's gift of eternal life. All right, praise the Lord. Well, listen, I trust uh, you bring somebody next week, you ask them to come, and I'll tear the, tear the same story with them about how Christ can change their life. Pastor Nick, why don't you just begin to sing right now? going to lead us in worship. I want you to stand to your feet, and uh, our prayer team is coming now for prayer. If you need God's help in some area of your life, I want you to come and let them pray for you. Just come and let them pray for you. Maybe you needed to make that step to Christ today. It's not too late. You come and we'll pray for you. If you need God's help in any way, you just come and someone will stand with you in the place of prayer. Oh